Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Reefer Day on the Ben Jarofsky Show. It is indeed Reefer Day. Actually, it's the day before Reefer Day. Uh, tomorrow, marijuana becomes legal in the state of Illinois. A lot of people waiting a long time for that. So uh, we brought in Lisa Solomon. She probably knows more about marijuana or cannabis, as they call it. You know what, Lisa? <laughs> My first question to you will be, what's the difference between Reefer and cannabis? Well... Reefer and cannabis, same thing. My kids in their 20s say, it's weed, mom. Stop calling it pot or cannabis, it's weed. Oh. So to get with today's times, call it weed. Okay. But marijuana is a term that was created decades ago to throw men of color in jail. All right, hold that thought because that's a gr- unbelievable thought to take the deep dive. I want to do two things. One, before we take the deep dive with Lisa uh, Solomon on marijuana, cannabis, reefer, weed, I just want to say one thing that eluded me. I got a tip from a little tipster named Pat. It is a certain person's birthday today. A certain person was born on this day about 20 years ago. That's correct. His name is Dr. D. Ladies (laughs) and gentlemen, happy birthday (laughs) to the young man from Alton, Illinois. Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, but a lot of people also call him White light. No one calls me that. I'm Dennis. How's it going? Uh, all right. Happy birthday, young man. Thanks. I didn't, I guess I knew it, forgot it, and the young Pat Whalen just called me Wait, up. Wait, you forgot something. <laughs> Get out of here. It's all that reefer I smoked oh, back in the 70s. God. Yeah, it's my birthday. All right. Well, happy birthday, man. Thanks. So uh, for, as, as a birthday present, uh, Lisa Solomon is going to give you a lot of legal weed. How about that? I wouldn't have turned it down. Uh, I like the illegal stuff. Uh, yeah, right. It's not legal to the tomorrow okay so stop smoking it anyway let's turn our attention back to lisa some lisa before we uh the, the, take that dive into why they call it marijuana so they could lock up people of color which let's not forget that the war on drugs uh as we celebrate the end we're really celebrating like the first phase of the end of the war on drugs yes the first um, phase the first phase uh tell people who you are what you do and how you know so much about reefer Okay, so right now I'm doing cannabis events for the Chicago Reader. We've got a great lineup of events coming for 2020. The first one, you won't see it online for another week or two, but is Wednesday, February 5th. It's at the Creative Arts Incubator 2112 on the north side of the city. We're going to have a lot of exhibitors, maybe some CBD vendors, because the cannabis companies can't sell outside of the dispensaries. But they will be there with lots of empty packaging, Lots of empty packaging and lots of great swag. There is so much stuff. You can get jars to keep your butt in. If you're watching, I'm holding some up. Things to keep your shatter in. Uh, Grinders. They got everything Wait, come out. Shatter? I'm going to let someone else explain that. I'm not an expert on shatter. It's It's a highly concentrated form. Of. So I'm unfamiliar with that too. Shatter, man. Dab, whatever. Oh, dabs and all that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what? Ah, it's like smoke. Uh, could you guys speak English? <laughs> I feel like this lady went into my living room and just brought all the stuff from it. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. All so, right. Uh, so we're doing a lot of events, and then April 3rd and 4th, save the date, there's going to be a huge cannabis convention downtown Chicago at the Sheridan, mm. the Illinois Cannabis Convention. Uh, an operator came to the reader, asked us to partner with them to be their local partner. They've done 30 conventions in eight different states. They know what they're doing. They've always done B2B. They came to us, said, will you be our partner? We said, yes, but we want to add consumer-facing programming. So what that means is we're going to have uh, doctors, pharmacists, all sorts of medical experts come in, home grow experts, so people can learn how they can grow their own plants for those who can legally grow in 2020. Uh, we're gonna have cooking experts. You can learn how to make your own tinctures at home. And we'll talk more about what a tincture is in yes. a few minutes. But so that is gonna be amazing. We're doing a low ticket price for consumers. That'll be posted online next week. It's NECAN Illinois, N-E-C-A-N-N, -N, Illinois. Google that, it'll come right up. Okay, very good. All right, now, Lisa, let's get back to that marijuana question. Uh, it's a political show. You know, I can't avoid political ah. topics. Marijuana was a name that was given to uh, this substance in order to uh, justify locking up people of color. Take the deep dive. Explain what you meant by that. Well, they actually started calling it marijuana to make it sound like a dirty Mexican thing that was being brought up to our country. And... It's prohibition. That's what it is. So there's a movie I'm going to recommend to everyone. It's on Netflix. It's one of my favorite cannabis films. It's called Grass. There's more than one grass. So make sure it's the one from 1999 narrated by Woody Harrelson. It's two hours. It is riveting. It takes you through everything. I think it was Nixon who had 83 different medical experts, mostly physicians, do research. He said, I want you to give me the proof that marijuana is dangerous and bad. And every single group came back and said, not only can we not find anything dangerous about it, we think there are some medicinal benefits. He, was it Anslinger, uh, tried to confiscate all the reports. Watch the movie in case I'm getting any of that confused. But they tried to confiscate every single printed copy because, of course, didn't have the Internet back then. So the only copies that existed were in print because they didn't want the public to see that. They, so, they didn't want the public to see that because why? Because there were medical benefits. It was good. There was nothing bad about it. It's a beautiful plant. And if you look up and can find old copies of like Merck manuals and physician desk references and pharma catalogs, you will see there were almost a hundred tinctures. So a tincture is an oil made from the cannabis plant. There are almost a hundred on the market that were legal. And during this time of prohibition, when they were trying to schedule it as a schedule one drug, which they succeeded in doing, uh, the AMA, the American Medical Association, actually pleaded with the government not to do that. They said, we do not have other medicines to treat some of these conditions. You're taking away medicines from people that need them. A little known fact, mm -hmm. a large percentage of those were female medical issues. So what did these white men in power care if the women were going to have horrible cramps, you know, and, and other things? So. Yeah. It was Prohibition, and there's another cannabis movie I love. So write this down. That one was Grass, Woody Harrelson, 1999. There's a movie that came out late 2018 called Weed the People. <laughs> Ricky Lake is the executive producer. She doesn't appear in the film, but she did so much. This was her passion project. It's also available on Netflix. And this movie tracks some pediatric cancer patients. 
their journey. It talks about their chemo, their traditional Western medicine treatments, and then what happened with cannabis. I don't want to say too much other than have the tissues ready. Mm. I've seen it six times, and I go through lots and lots of tissues every time. It pulls at your heartstrings, not only seeing what these kids go through, but to start to understand how many lives have been lost Mm -hmm. due to prohibition of cannabis. Now, what do you think changed uh, so that we are at the moment where we're at a day before the legalization of marijuana. I I, I talk a lot about this, Lisa, back in the uh, early part of this decade when I first started writing about the injustice of uh, the war on drugs and how uh, black people get locked up for something that everybody does. And uh, there was... There was just either indifference or apathy or hostility or fear on the issue. Politicians didn't want to talk about it. As recently as 2014, uh, Rahm Emanuel, when he announced he was running for re-election, said he was absolutely opposed to the legalization of marijuana and that he did not want to ever have to depend on marijuana taxes uh, to balance the budget. So that's how recent this is. Now, all of a sudden, here we are. It seems as... uh, in 2020 we're gonna it's gonna be legal it's like a ball going down a hill all of a sudden it it was like going up the hill now just rolling down the hill what changed that uh, got us to this point so quickly uh it could be all the research coming out of europe and israel on the benefits of cannabis as a medicine that was one thing that helped a lot of people the social justice social equity people were more comfortable speaking up mm-hmm. and they were actually being heard by some people. That's still, as you were saying, we're, we're at stage one of that, but there are some wonderful things in the works. And I know Illinois and Chicago, they're really struggling with how to make sure that equity piece actually happens as it was designed to. The state legislators that worked on this legalization bill put a lot of effort into it. Mm-hmm. So now it's a question of, will it play out the way it's supposed to? There were people saying, oh, people were just checking off boxes and asking people to come in as supposed partners, but not really giving them a share of the business that were people of color or that had these felony convictions. So they're really trying to look into that to make sure that it's fair and that those people are equity partners in the business and that they have an active role, not just that their name was thrown on the application, but that they are contributing members. Mm-hmm. So right. let's hope yeah. that happens. Go. Yeah, I was going to say. It's taken a long time. That, uh, uh, Joshua, what you just described uh, has been the case for 50 years, and it it's as though overnight, uh, relatively speaking, people came face-to-face with it. Because I'm telling you, when when I would ask, this is I talk about this so much, but I can't get over this. Uh, I, I remember so many conversations with politicians back in around 2011, and I would mention these things to him, Joshua, that you just alluded to the unfairness of it all, the inequity of all, the historical way in which uh, it was used by uh, a get tough on crime uh, politicians to justify locking people up. And when I would talk talk about that to people, politicians, they go, yeah. But I can I really don't I'm not comfortable talking about it. It was as though they didn't know what to say because we had bought in like and I think this is a larger problem 
that I won't burden you with, Lisa. Uh, but there's a larger problem where uh, people on the left, my beloved people on the left, my beloved Democrats, just sort of buy into a worldview that the Republicans put out. This is all about moving the country to the right. If you move further to the right, the Democrats generally follow the Republicans to the right, and they betray them, their people, their constituents, on so many issues of importance to them. So this is just one of them. So if the Republicans have claimed this war on drugs position, an absolute position, that we're going to get tough on all the criminals and the drug dealers and the thugs and the hoods, and the Democrats just don't want to look weak, move to the right, and now all of a sudden we have this indefensible war on marijuana that people are even afraid to talk about as recently as six or seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. And the penalties are just so different. If you're a, a white kid on, you know, in a nice suburb, you can get caught with a bunch of weed versus being a person of color on the south or west side, get caught with one joint, you can get thrown in jail. Yeah. So I want to make sure we talk about All right, let's go on. Go ahead. Things. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So before I say anything else, I want to clarify, I am not a doctor. I'm not a medical expert. So anything I'm going to say related to ingestion and medical stuff, it's not medical advice. Do your research. Talk to a professional. But it's important with legalization coming. And tomorrow, some dispensaries will be open, some won't. Tom Shuba, who you've had on here plenty of times, Young Thomas. Uh, has done an article and have, has a link, I think, so you can figure out which, which dispensaries will be open tomorrow. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a shortage of flour. That's sort of the industry term for bud, for dried cannabis, because you can't buy it, you know, you can't buy the live fresh plants. Um, it's going to be hard to get that. What there is a huge supply of is edibles. So even a lot of people that have smoked a lot have never tried edibles. They don't know what they're doing. They need to know. I want to keep our emergency rooms open for people that actually need care in the emergency room. So Illinois and a lot of states said the maximum dose for an edible is 10 milligrams. So when you go to the dispensary, you'll see chocolate bars that are 100 milligrams scored into 10 rectangles or squares. So each square, you think, oh, this is one dose. I'm going to eat a square. That's what they're telling me a dose is. Or you get a bag of gummies, and one tiny little gummy is 10 milligrams of weed. All right. 10 milligrams of THC, I should say. That is gonna get a lot of people really high and feel like they're dying, they're going crazy. So if you're gonna try edibles, start low and stay slow. The other thing is, while a <laughs> lot- write that down. Yeah, start that, that's a common, start, start low, stay slow. Got it, mm-hmm. All right. The other thing is most people feel the effects of edibles in about 45 minutes. Might be half an hour for you, might be an hour, but there are plenty of people out there, including people I know in the industry, they don't feel it for three hours. So if you're sitting there with a bunch of friends, everyone takes some of the chocolate or has a gummy and like all your friends are feeling high and you're like, I don't feel anything. Let me have another one. Half an hour goes by, you don't feel anything. You have another one. At three hours, you're starting to feel it. Three and a half, four hours, you are stoned out of your mind. <laughs> yeah. um, so be careful. A lot of people recommend start at two or two and a half milligrams of THC your first time. The other thing is don't do it when you're going to have to drive the next morning. Because if it doesn't kick in for three hours and you're taking it like eight o'clock at night, when you eat it, it lasts six to eight hours. You might get up and try to drive to work and you're high. Don't drive high. It's not worth it. It's really not. 
So the other thing uh, to think about is you were saying, yeah, it's legal. Okay. But it is illegal to give someone cannabis without letting them know there's cannabis in the product. You can't just give your friends gummies or chocolate without telling them. Don't do that. Okay. I, I see people making, <laughs> you know, joking about that, but you really don't want to do that. Yeah. And there are some home remedies that a lot of people say work to bring you down if you take too much. There is some research out there that says this is true, but I don't know. But if you happen to have too much, uh, limonene. Limonene is a terpene. We're not going to get into terpenes, cannabinoids, flavonoids, all those things, but um, terpenes are things that occur in a lot of plants. It's in every citrus that there is. It's in a lot of cannabis. So if you make some fresh squeezed lemonade, you can put the sugar in it, water it down as much as you want. Put some of the lemon zest in it too, because mm -hmm. the lemon zest is what has a high concentration of limonene. Drink that. That should help bring you down some. Um, CBD. Just have a CBD tincture on hand. What that does, CBD actually will go sit on the receptor sites that break down the THC. So instead, the THC is just going to get flushed out of your system. Because when you eat it, it becomes a much stronger form of THC than when you smoke it. They're actually chemical names. It becomes 11-hydroxy-THC. When you eat it, when you smoke it, it's delta nine. So there's a difference. So there's uh, there's evidence from other states like Colorado that went legal of people binging, like people just uh, just rushing out, getting the edibles, eating more edibles than they should, not realizing. Uh, that they're eating too much or not getting that high right away. So eating more. Well, I'm not getting high. I'll eat more. I knew someone that ate half a bar and slept for like two days. I hear so many stories. Yeah. Yes, like, two days. It lasts 48 hours wild. when you have too much. Yeah. So you predict, uh, both of you think that like within the next week or so, we're going to see articles filling the paper about uh, people uh, having bad reactions. Oh. And then it'll, of course, start start up the the call to make it illegal again. I think that would amplify. They're going to choose the most obscure stories <laughs> and just amplify those. Yeah. But it's all about education. Anything you right. do, be an educated consumer. Mm -hmm. That's what's mm -hmm. so important here. All right. Now I'm going to show, expose my utter ignorance about uh, marijuana, cannabis, reefer, whatever you want to call it. I'm not ashamed, afraid to expose my utter ignorance, as my dear friend Milo can attest, who's uh, just joined us, uh, who'll be on in a little while. So, all right. So, are there different variants of this beast that have less of an impact uh, on uh, people's propensity to lose their freaking minds? Yes. Go ahead. Great question. Thank you. Okay. So, first of all, raw cannabis can't get you high. What does that mean, raw cannabis? The, the plant, until it's heated, there's a chemical process called decarboxylation. The THC actually loses a molecule uh -huh. and goes from being an acid, which has, not like acid acid, <laughs> talking about like acid base in chemistry. Um, yeah, poor At least but, I love it when you get all scientific <laughs> and stuff. It's like chemistry class. And I've learned all this over the past couple of years by attending conferences and mm -hmm. um, taking online courses. But so I actually brought a bottle of a tincture for those of you looking, this is liquid THCA. When it has that A attached, it means it's raw. So this is good for neural repair. It's a neural protectant, can help with focus, cannot get you high. You could drink the whole bottle, you Wait, couldn't get high. Wait, what's neural repair mean? Neural. Oh, so what does that mean? Oh, so there is a lot of research out there that's been showing the benefits 
of using THCA and different compounds in cannabis for patients with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, a lot of different disorders and traumatic brain injuries and post-concussion syndrome. It's like a miracle drug. Again, not a doctor. A lot of it's anecdotal. <laughs> yeah, that's my line. That's it. He always goes, "Not a doctor." Uh, so what? Are, so if you, you, what's that thing that you take a little dabble? Do you if you have a, like what you're forgetful or something? Is well, over time it, it can help. Uh-huh. They're actually doing studies to show differences. I think in the brain. Hmm. So, and again, a lot of this research is being done in Europe and Israel because the U.S. is making a very difficult. It's still illegal federal on the federal books. It's illegal on the federal yeah. level. Yeah. yeah. So don't take it to O'Hare on an airplane mm-hmm. when you're flying to California. I have a you. friend got stopped at the Denver airport a couple months ago. She'd flown with it plenty of times. Mm. You know, you're not supposed to, but she had a vape pen and a chocolate bar. Mm. And they had the Denver police there. I don't know why they decided to start checking. They were unzipping like dop kits and inside pockets of purses and looking for things. So she had virtually none on her, but all of a sudden these three cops are saying, you're about to you know, commit a federal offense. Mm-hmm. When you go through there, if you board that airplane, you know, they confiscated, scared the crap out of her mm. and then let her go. So wait, so that stuff that you just showed me, uh, that won't, okay, it's been so long since I've been high, but that won't get you high like in the old days you got high, you know? Where, this can't get you high, and I actually, getting high is not my thing. I'm about using it for medical benefits and microdosing, which is using the smallest amount you can to get the therapeutic effect without the high. All right, does so, it help with headaches? Yes, yes, if you get the right one. Oh, something I really wanna um, share. When we talked about having too much, how you might feel like you're dying or going crazy. There is research out there to show that people with anxiety disorders can be greatly helped by cannabis if they keep the dose really low. For those with anxiety disorders, if they go over their therapeutic dose, and that's something you gotta figure out on your own because every body responds differently. And will respond differently on different days, differently based on what's in their stomach, what they're eating it with. It can create greatly elevated levels of anxiety. So be really careful if you're an anxious person, really start low. And if you start to find you're getting anxious as you're upping your dosage, you've gone too far, take a step back. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the Larry David show, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, where he takes <laughs> smokes the joint? You saw that particular episode? I saw episode? that, remind me what happens. Oh yeah, that's friend. one of my favorite shows, uh, my episodes. It's the one in which, uh, if you've seen it, Larry David, <laughs> what a character. Okay, so in, in LA, uh, they have uh, special lanes on the highway because it's so traffic congested for people who are commuting with other people, yes. so if not a solo. So Larry David wants to get to the Dodgers game really fast, but he's alone in a car. So he's figuring out, what can I do to get in the commuting lane? And he sees a prostitute. So he, <laughs> freaking Larry David. So he asked the prostitute to come into the car with him, and just so she'll go with. So she negotiates a deal. All I want you to do, and then so she starts bargaining with her. Or anyway, she gets in the car with them, so they go in the commuting lane. They go to the Dodgers game. Now he's hanging out with her mm-hmm. for the whole day, and she has reefer, and so they end up smoking reefer, and he's at home, and it really hits home for anybody. This gets into the people to the point you're t- talking about. Like he's looking in the mirror and he's saying, I'm a worthless human being. I don't work hard enough. I'm lazy. And it's just like marijuana is not for everybody. You know? It is not for everybody. It can do great things for a lot of people and some not so great things for others, especially for anyone who takes too much. 
kind of like an apples and oranges comparison here, but it's kind of like alcohol. If you, you have to know what your body can take and what you're going to respond well or bad to. It's like, am I going to drink, am I going to take a shot of Malort or am I going to take a shot of tequila? You know, what's going to, what's going to affect you differently? My wife and I went to Washington state not too long ago and we went into one of these dispensaries just to check it out. Nothing, no, no funny business. And, uh, it was like, we were in a pharmacy, like what's wrong with you? Like, do you have anxiety, you have eczema, you know, stress, what is it? And then they'll just, they just laid everything out. Here's the array. We can choose this hope with this. They'll help with that. It was amazing to, to experience. So presumably Lisa, uh, following up what Josh was saying, uh, the people at the, uh, dispensaries tomorrow will be offering the same cautionary advice that you're offering. Yeah. Uh, Oh, the long it pause. would be nice if they did, but it's going to be so busy. Some people come in, they're like, okay, is this your first experience with cannabis? Oh, no, no, no. They buy stuff, but they don't understand the weed today is so much stronger than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. You know, in college, people who, you know, were in college, 70s, 80s, probably even 90s, you know, passing around a bong, passing around the joints, many, many hits. You're like a little high. Now, one hit can get you higher than you've ever been before. This stuff is so strong, the THC content is really high. And I've heard talk that they may end up limiting the THC content of what they're selling for rec. So a whole nother conversation is why have a medical card if it's legal. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, so get into the issue of the shortage. Uh, that the paper, I think Thomas Shuba in today's uh, Sun-Times had a story about uh, potential shortage uh, yes. tomorrow. They just expect that they won't be able to keep up with the demand. Uh, why is this? Well, there are already shortages because of the alternative to opioids program and the way they changed the process of getting a medical card where you can get an instant temporary card online. The patient count jumped from around 50,000 to about 85,000 in a very short period of time. So. There is already a shortage, and a lot of medical patients can't get what they usually take. And every strain is, is different, so when you find something that works for you, you want to stick with it. So even if you look at the profile and see some of the main components, they react differently together. There's something called an entourage effect. So there are medical patients I see in these forums online, I can't get my stuff, has anyone been able to find it anywhere? And so dispensers are required to keep product aside for medical patients. However, what I've seen is they're required to keep what was in demand six months ago, which was when the patient count was probably about half, maybe two yeah. thirds of what it is now. Mm -hmm. So there's not much flour. You're not gonna be able to get much smokable. I don't know about the supply of mm -hmm. vape cartridges. And so how long do you think this shortage will last? Uh, I'm hearing it's going to be three to five months, probably. I heard from one company they're expecting the flour to dry up, to be gone in three days. Another one said five to seven days. I think in Tom's article, someone said maybe week and a half. So we just don't know. But some dispensaries are limiting what they will sell to people because they want more people to get a chance to get it. Yeah. And of course, uh, people with the, the medical cards go to the head of the line. They are going to have procedures for that, yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, and the cost, what do you anticipate the cost to be? I don't think the cost is going up. I think it's about $60 for an eighth because I, mm -hmm. I don't buy that. I'm getting more tinctures and edibles, and one chocolate bar lasts me three months when I use it for sleep. All right. And excuse, again, my utter ignorance. It's been a long time since I purchased the product. Uh, I never heard of an eighth. So what's an eighth? 
Uh, <laughs> I'll take that one. Uh, um, it's like a, it's probably that big, maybe. Uh, so okay, so for that's a podcast, like a nugget, that'd like be a like a nugget form. Yeah, Sixty dollars, like bigger than a quarter, I'd Good say. God. Right? What'd you say? And and I'm hearing the street price is between yeah. like forty five and sixty. When you go into yeah. the dispensary, you've got taxes, but when you're buying into dispensary, it has been lab tested. Mm-hmm. You know, it's free of toxins, of heavy metals, of pesticides, yeah. because hemp and the cannabis plants they soak up a lot of that stuff we want out of the soil. They use hemp to clean up nuclear waste sites. Mm. So like oh, CBD, wow. don't buy it at the gas station. Unless that brand has real lab testing online, be careful about your CBD. Be very careful. Because some stuff could be cut that you're, you may be buying on the street. Right? Yeah, on the street, like, you, don't you don't know really what's know in what's, it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so you're going to tell me what the difference between hemp and cannabis is. Uh, okay. With this whole prohibition thing, the federal government just drew a line in the sand, said if it's higher than 0.3% THC in the plant, then it's cannabis. And if it's under that, it's industrial hemp. So it, it's really the same thing. And they've had issues for a couple of years now with hemp shipments getting confiscated because the police can't tell the difference. They're like seizing truckloads of this stuff. And then the companies are fighting for like months to get it back and it sits in there, it can mold, they lose everything. So there are now, there's equipment, it's amazing, like the size of a briefcase, they can actually test at roadside. But you might have one plant instead of being Point three, it's point three one, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very arbitrary and unfair, and that needs to change. All right, now uh, before I let you go, you have a whole bunch of other products okay. on your uh, right in front of you. you. Want to talk about them? Okay. So I brought some things in because when you go to dispensaries in Illinois, everything is like double and triple sealed. The laws are really strict. There was one dispensary in Colorado. They had these big, gorgeous glass jars of bud and they'd open it up here smell this one you know they're letting it waft they can't do that in illinois that's illegal it has to be sealed so these are actually hemp pre-rolls that i got at a hemp conference so they're basically they're joints but it's hemp inside what's considered hemp instead of cannabis so there's cbd and when i was at this conference there were some people that smoked cigarettes and like you know what i got it let me try this and they're like ah Okay, Milo's got a whole pack. Let's show him the whole pack. Yeah, can... Whoa. Okay, so here's one. Yeah, American Spirit That's sells. A shorty. A shorty. Okay, so. <laughs> Tell you, the man knows everything. Milo Samarja, one of Chicago's finest writers. We'll have him on. So, just an aside, uh, if it's helpful, an eighth uh, is an eighth of an ounce. So that's an eighth like of an ounce. Yeah, so okay, a couple weeks or I, something. I maybe, depending wait, how much you smoke. Uh, have Milo discuss this because uh, it's more of the historical reference. Sorry. But back in the day, there was something calling a nickel bag. Yeah, it was five bucks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was more like the mind. Yeah. So we'll ask my, explain what the difference between a nickel bag and an eighth is. My God, you're old. <laughs> a nickel bag, man. So when you go in, like this is a package. This had chocolates in it. Yeah. So when I say it's double and triple sealed, like this is in here. It's sealed. There are labels telling you what was in that batch, the exact percentage of THC, CBD, and some other popular cannabinoids. Pop this open. So when you buy bud when you're buying the plant now it's going to be in a container like this mm-hmm. it's not going to be in a baggie okay <laughs> the old nickel bag i got you and you're not supposed to open up in your car there are legal limits as to how much you can possess um just a word of warning because i know you're trying to wrap up with me here starting tomorrow you can legally like make you know pot dinners weed dinners for all of your friends if you tell them it's infused yes but the most that any one person is allowed to possess legally at any one time is 30 grams, which is about an ounce. 
But there's actually an article in the reader there was a column to be blunt, and there's one, I think it's called Supper Clubs. Mm-hmm. But if you look at that, to the attorney blunt. who's very weed friendly, and he's a cannabis attorney, breaks down how many hundreds of people you can get high with one ounce of cannabis. So he's like, don't even think about putting an ounce into your dinner for a few friends. They're not gonna be leaving your house for days. Yeah, a weed attorney, what a concept. Uh, can I ask a quick question about the weed dinners? If you're yeah. renting, are you allowed legally to do that after today? Oh, if you're renting, it depends on your landlord. Okay, yeah, actually, this, the current copy of the reader, which is on the stands for two weeks, because January 2nd is the one day off during the year this year, there's a pullout in the middle from a cannabis attorney from one of the top cannabis law firms in the country. He's got some do's and don'ts, mm. and he addresses what happens if you're in a rental or a condo, and if you're in a CHA building public housing, yeah. you can get evicted yeah. because it's yeah. federally Federal. illegal. Yeah. So you can have your Oxy and all your benzos and take any of those prescription drugs that have a lot of side effects for a lot of people. But if you get caught with weed, you can get thrown out. Yeah. So be careful. I think wow. I should bring that weed uh, lawyer on. Uh, just a, a reefer lawyer. What a concept. In the old days, it's the guy who bailed you out of jail. Now it's uh, you go to this guy for advice. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I know I'm trying to restrict myself and restrain myself from pointing out the political ramifications of all this. But just one more point I want to say. You know, this whole, the war on drugs was hit hardest at the poor people in this country, at black people in this country. And guess it, guess what? It's still illegal uh, in public housing projects. This freaking mm-hmm. country, Milo, I'm looking at Milo, we're old enough to know, it takes a while for anything resembling social justice t- uh, to occur. All right, I want to get a prediction from you, Lisa, and that is this. Tomorrow, January 1st, it's legal. So there'll be uh, lots of things happening all over the, the state or the city. What do you predict the headlines will be on a young Tom Shuba's article on the second and the third and all the other reporters who are covering uh, uh, the, the first day of Reefer? What do you think the headlines will be? What are your predictions? Chicago is now a happy place. Lots of happy people walking around. But no, I agree with Joshua. We're going to see some crazy headlines about the anti-cannabis people trying to demonize it again. Yeah. And I, we need a lot of people on the other side to balance that out. We need people like Tom Shuba and people who understand what this really is to show some balanced articles. Um, one other thing I want to show, I just brought a couple books. So if people want to learn more, there are books. These are just a couple in my library. Uh, vitamin weed, cannabis pharmacy, and then there's a cookbook, the 420 Gourmet. <laughs> People in Illinois, and such in the industry. 420 Gourmet. Oh, he, he's <laughs> great, great guy. He's got, you know, for any Jewish listeners thinking about their Passover menu, he's got a recipe for pots ball soup in there. Pots ball <laughs> um, soup, okay. It's one of his signature dishes. Um, I love that. <laughs> All right. Lots of great things. Yeah, but uh, put those... Uh, reader events, the February 5th one, look for it soon, Green Space Sessions. Well, we'll bring you back is. before that February okay. 5th one to promote right. that one a little more. Just yeah. you have to remind me, okay? I will remind you. Because I smoked a lot of reefer back in the 70s. <laughs> I can't remember anything. And I'll get you some great cannabis attorneys to come on, pharmacists, Canadocs, a lot of people on here to educate Wait, your... Wait, Canadocs? Oh, yeah. There are doctors that now are open to talking to patients, helping patients get off their opioids and, you know, switch over to Cannabis. cannabis. Yeah. All right. That uh, I just never heard the word Canadox. Um, <laughs> all right. Very good. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. Lisa Solomon, uh, the reader's reefer expert. Uh, what a job. What a title. Thank you she, for having me. Uh, she knows her stuff. You'll be hearing from her a lot in the coming year. Uh, thank you very much, Lisa. Happy New Year. 
And uh, happy Reefer Day. How about that? <laughs> happy Reefer Day. Happy New Year, Ben. We're going to take a break, and the great Milo Samarge will be on. The man knows more about marijuana than anyone in the world. He's a great writer, a great friend of mine. Milo Samarge, we're going to bring him on. We're going to talk all things marijuana. We'll probably get into culture. Uh, don't forget, uh, with Joshua, we're going to have the great quiz. Milo doesn't know about this. We're going to have the uh, rally playlist quiz. Uh, exploration of their musical knowledge. Maybe a smoking a joint will help them. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> when you lose a loved one whose wishes were to be cremated, Chicagoland Cremation Options provides your family a dignified and affordable cremation service. Chicagoland Cremation Options helps you bypass the expensive overhead of a funeral home or cemetery by streamlining the cremation directly. It saves you sometimes thousands of dollars. Chicagoland Cremation Options Crematory, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. You can find them at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Milo Samarja, uh, welcome back, Cotter. You were on the old show I had before I got fired, and uh, now you're here. So welcome back, Milo. I expect you to get fired again pretty <laughs> soon, too. Yeah, I got my bags packed over there. It's always in the corner. Uh, you never know. You uh, never know. You never know. Uh, <laughs> Well, All right, you know, pulling no punches. Th this is very disappointing. <laughs> I, I, I was told that there was going to be a, like a marijuana blowout here. I, I stopped at Jewel, got a bunch of Doritos. and, and I know. Uh, Our last guest let, took everything with her. She had all that Miles, stuff. Did you take that joint you left? You brought and, it? And, and all we're going to do is talk about it. I know. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think there's sprinklers here, Milo. I told you. See, that's a sprinkler there. If you light up a joint. Yeah, that's a different uh, type of smoke. Yeah. Then uh, Ben will yeah, get yeah. fired yeah, again. Yeah, that, well, <laughs> guarantee you want to see me get fired? Light up a joint. All right, Milo Samarja. Uh, you're a writer. As I said, schoolboy, I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, you could still purchase it on uh, Amazon uh, and the Wasserman Garden. Two completely different books. If, before we talk about Reefer, let's just talk about how completely different these books are. Uh, schoolboy is a coming-of-age story. Uh, and uh, about, about a young gambler. Talk about this. Go ahead. Oh, it's just a coming-of-age story about a young gambler and, and uh, how... And, and the twists and turns that life has in, in store for him. Yeah. Uh, Milo, in, in addition to being uh, a consumer of marijuana over the years, is a hell of a gambler. Great poker player. I'm getting all his secrets out there in the open. Uh, I, I may be the worst poker player ever, but it, when, when my friends have a game, they're, 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 they send a cab for me. Yeah. That sounds like something a poker player would uh, say. I know, I know. Yeah. No, he used to, when I, okay, when I first, when uh, I moved into, I, Milo was in the apartment before me, the downstairs one. I moved in after Milo. But there was this thing that you used to get involved with I don't, back in the day called, the, I think you called it the 
the World Series of Poker, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Did, or you had some kind of name for it? Like it would be these blowout poker games, and I would see. So it would be a Saturday night. I'd see a Saturday. Well, you going to the poker game? Yeah, I'm going to go. There was like a math professor there, and uh, a couple of lawyers who I probably wouldn't want to hire for anything. Uh, Benny, you don't want to play poker with lawyers because. I remember uh, sometimes sitting at a table with three or four lawyers, and every time there'd be a, a question about the game, everyone had to have their say. They had brought up precedent. They listed previous games that played in in, uh, in, in bathrooms in Milwaukee yeah. 40 years ago. So it, uh, I, I would uh, uh, suggest not playing. No, don't play with lawyers. Don't play with lawyers. Or math professors. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Washington Gardens is a uh, parable. It's an allegory about the uh, Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, Uh, Milo. uh, You're you're born and raised. uh, No, you weren't born. You were raised in Gary, Indiana. Yeah, I was raised in Gary, Indiana. I moved there from Milwaukee when I was about five years old. Okay. All right. So, um, and then you uh, were sent uh, to Vietnam. Well, you know, uh, since uh, ostensibly I'm here to talk about weed, Mm -hmm. I want to... uh, Get a little, just a bit of a, a history. I smoked my first joint uh, uh, in in Sandy Bordeaux's basement in 1967, mm. and a year later I got drafted and, uh, and and sent to you know after training and everything I got sent to Vietnam. So uh, where I uh, I got to uh, uh, sample uh, much finer strains of weed <laughs> yeah. that yeah. were available in Gary at the time. All right, let's talk about that. 1967. Uh, you were just out of high school or still in high I would, school? I believe I was a senior in high senior school. Senior I graduated in 67. All right. So think about this. So how was it advertised? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, what did they say to entice you uh, to get you to smoke that first joint? Well, you know, 67 uh, was was an, uh, kind of an odd year. You know, 66 is when uh, the, the culture kind of exploded and, and hippies became... Uh, uh, part of the of the landscape, mm-hmm. and uh, marijuana. You know, we we were the boys in Gary uh, were used to marijuana. There there was, uh, you know, the city ran three shifts. It was all factory work, so guys uh, uh, used to uh, take all kind of drugs, just stay awake and things like that. And that's why, for one reason, I thought Gary was the greatest town in the world. <laughs> at any time of the day or night, yeah. you could get a, you could get a, a, a breakfast, a drink, uh, uh, you could get laid if you wanted. <laughs> Sometimes all three at oh, once. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, <clears throat> my my. Uh, but uh, when when uh, the the uh, hippie thing happened, you know, the, the summer of love and all that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the word got out, and you know, suddenly there was a little reefer around town. Mm-hmm. So you know, we we tried it, and thank God the, for the Serrano brothers who provided most of it. <laughs> the, Ser- <laughs> the Serrano brothers, immortal uh, uh, Gary residents. Now, Milo, uh, these are basically working class kids. Oh yeah, yeah, steel all, mill all kids. Steel mill kids. Yes. Your dad worked in a steel mill. Oh, he worked in an auto plant, but the, you know. It was, it was about a mile away from the steel mill. So the Serrano brothers were kids you went to high school with? Yes. Cisco Serrano and his brother Sammy. Sammy Serrano. And uh, so what did, they, what did they go, hey, Milo, uh, I got oh, no, a so, yeah, for you. I don't remember the exact <laughs> yeah. circumstance, but the, the, you know, I think uh, my friend Sandy, uh, who passed away a few years ago, 
uh, he was good friends with the Serrano brothers, and they provided, hey, so you want to try this? And of course, you know, I said yes. And, and do you remember it? Do you remember the, mo- the No, I remember just being in the basement and, and, and smoking and getting a little silly, and that, that's all I remember. It was so long ago. That, so. This would have been before the Nixon administration started cracking down on It was on before the Nixon administration. Yes. Right, okay. So what would you say the, I don't mean to cut in on the No, go ahead. Head, but what, what would you say was the contrast between pre- and post-Nixon administration more on drugs? Like, what was the feeling? Did that change your interaction with weed at all? Or uh, No, not at all. Be- okay. Because, like I say, I, I, when I smoked my first joint in 67, and then a year later I was drafted in the Army. Mm-hmm. So I spent uh, two years in the military, and uh, 14 months of that was overseas. And uh, in Southeast Asia, the, the getting hold of marijuana was not a problem. It was mm-hmm. everywhere. And, you know, in most places, we used to go to, uh, in Vietnam, we'd get it from Buddhist monks. They'd have bushel baskets of it. You want, you give them $5 and they grab a handful and just give it to you. And uh, everybody was smoking pretty much over there? Well, uh, the, I mean, I don't know if everybody was smoking, but but uh, as we all do, we surround ourselves with like-minded people. So my my crowd was smoking, but, I, you know, there were some guys that were uh, into alcohol, and there was heroin addicts, and all, all sorts of uh, all sorts of fun things. <laughs> and uh, the obvious point, it helped get you through that experience. The, you needed some escape from the reality of it, and uh, sometimes getting a hold of hard liquor was was uh, difficult. We always had uh, uh, access to warm beer, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, marijuana was usually the uh, drug of choice for most people. Milo, I don't think I've ever asked you this question. Maybe I have, but I don't remember the answer because I was high at the time. But, uh, sorry, I just love that joke so much. Uh, literally the last time I smoked was with Milo on his front porch. Uh, Roger, our, our Milo's dear friend from way back in, and Gary was sitting behind us. And uh, that's the first time I heard the word fiduciary. It's one of my great moments in my life. We were talking about the Cubs. And Milo, lifelong Cub fam, but he announced uh, at this moment that he was through with the Cubs. Milo, remember this? Because the new owners, God, it was the Tribune had just purchased them. And they, they, they fired they Ernie fired Banks. Ernie Banks. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? Yeah, Ernie Banks. He, dude, kids don't know. He was Mr. Oh, Cub. Oh, Banks. you know Ernie Banks? Oh, okay. come on. They've got a statue. Yeah, yeah they got yeah. a statue. Come on. Yeah. And, uh, uh, they fired him because what? They were too cheap to. They're just too cheap. Uh, look, you know the the Boston Red Sox uh, used to pay Ted Williams a few grand to go down to spring training, you know, walk around, talk to the young guys, shake yeah. a few hands, sign some autographs. Yeah, I don't get that about Chicago teams. But I feel they, like they're so cheap. They're yeah, so they wouldn't do that for Ernie Banks. Yeah, they yeah. cut Ernie Banks from the payroll, uh, and so Milo announced that um, <laughs> it's still this memory so Milo and I were sitting on the front porch it's me Milo and Roger and Milo and I are sitting at the front stoop and Roger's behind us in the shadows and uh, I kind of forgot that he was even there and uh, this joint is going around and Milo goes that's it I'm through with the Cubs. They fired Mr. Cub. They fired Mr. Cub because they wouldn't pay him the money. And that was, you were using George Steinbrenner. George Steinbrenner with the Yankees. He still has Mickey Mantle coming around, Whitey Ford coming around. That's it. I'm through with the Cubs. They're too cheap to pay Mr. Cub. And from the back comes the voice of Roger. And he goes, well, I think they have a fiduciary responsibility. Oh, I'm like, 
I'm Milo and I like fiduciary. I'm like, what does that mean? Benny, we should have beaten them up right <laughs> We we just let them get away with it. Yeah, we did. We let him get anyway. That's the last time. That was it. I was off. <laughs> Roger knew a word I didn't know. I was embarrassed. Uh, so, Milo, what do you? What, what's your theory about why the resistance to marijuana all these years? Uh, uh, well, a lot of it is racial. In the in the uh, southwest, it was associated mainly with uh, Mexican population. Mm-hmm. And in, in the uh, American South, it was mainly associated with the black population, yeah. jazz musicians, other, you know, other shady types. But uh, uh, I was going to uh, give a little bit more background on my use. Go ahead. Uh, I came back from Vietnam. I was a pothead maybe through, through all of my 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I smoked basically every day. And uh, but I got married late in life, thirty-one, mm-hmm. and then I had a couple of children, and I sort of I've, I quit, I gave it up, and I'm, for me, space of about ten, fifteen years, I would smoke maybe one joint a year, it, it, you know, maybe with some friends and having a few drinks or mm-hmm. something, and uh, then about uh, two or three years ago, I was at at the veterans' hospital. I was complaining about. Uh, lack of sleep and just some issues left over from my my, my service in the army, and uh, veteran said, "Try one of these." I said, "Well, I know what that is." <laughs> and he says, "No, no, this this stuff, this stuff will help you sleep because yeah. I was having trouble sleeping." And I said, "Where'd you get this?" He said, "Well, I, I got a medical marijuana card." And I said, "Well, okay." Well, I took the I took the uh, the the gifted joint home, uh, uh, smoked most of it. Slept like a baby. I, I was just so happy to be, you know, to, to, to go to bed and not wake up until eight hours later, seven hours later. And uh, so I decided to get a mer- medical marijuana card. And I got it about, I think it was about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I've become a pothead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after. You know, like, like circle, of life. <laughs> yeah, like, circle of life. Circle of life. 15, 20 yeah. years b- b- without smoking it. And now, you know, in, in my old age, I'm uh, becoming a. A, a damn potty. Yeah, and uh, so what? It uh, you've dif- discovered medicinal. Well, for me, I've got some, some aches and pains, and uh, some some trouble sleeping and things like mm-hmm. that. Just some issues uh, associated with age, probably as much as anything else. Yeah, but uh, it helps. Now, Milo, did you realize the medicinal benefits of marijuana back in the seventies and the eighties, and when you were smoking it, uh, uh, or just? No, the only benefit that, that I noticed was that it made me re- feel really good. Yeah. So that was it. Yeah. But uh, uh, now when you go to the, uh, the marijuana dispensaries, you know, they've, they've, they've uh, uh, refined the stuff so, so much mm-hmm. that they've got stuff to help you sleep, to, for your appetite, for stimulation, for, you know, th- there's a, a dozen different categories yeah. they can provide some weed for. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier, that my wife and I went up to Washington State, visited a dispensary, and it was like you were at a walk-in pharmacy. Yeah. Like they gave you all different types of options. Yeah. It's an incredible yeah. world. Yeah. Uh, Milo uh, and I, for years, uh, ran the Third City uh, blog, and uh, on a regular basis, pretty much every day, uh, we would uh, get on the phone together and we would come up with an advertisement of the day. 
uh, and this is kind of the twisted mind of Milo. Uh, one of the ads was for Nickelbag Bernie. <laughs> I have since you, it was Milo's creation. I got to give the man credit. He came up with Nickelbag Bernie, uh, the dealer, and he would the ad would be you know Nickelbag would be at some parking lot, and we would come up with the like the Dunkin' Donuts on Ashland or whatever, and we would just make up <laughs> the little sites. And we had a partner for a while. I was worried. Remember. <laughs> <laughs> We make up some. He's now appearing at a Dunkin' Donuts on Western, and the guy would go, "You know, maybe." So so I think the line was, uh, uh, "Nickelbag Bernie now working out of the parking lot at the Dunkin' Donuts on Western." Yeah, and so uh, our our partner was afraid. Yeah, was afraid that uh, uh, Dunkin' Donuts was going to sue us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I thought that'd be great to get sued by anybody. But but on the other hand, they may build up business. Uh, Anyway, Nickelbag Bernie. Uh, and that conjures up, we're going to get into this. You got an essay I'd really want uh, people to hear you read. But before we do that, the notion of a weed dealer, uh, you've probably been dealing with weed dealers, well, you're most, like you said, going back to the 60s yeah, yeah. Uh, in Gary, uh, throughout the 70s in the city of Chicago. Uh, talk a little bit about weed dealers as just a type, Milo, as opposed to now dispensaries. You've, you've uh, purchased from both. Can I read a couple paragraphs? Yes. Uh, This is a a blog I wrote for the Third City about uh, eight years ago, I think, or so. But here's just a few paragraphs I'm going to read. It does my heart good to know that there are some places in this nation where a guy can smoke a little weed without worrying about getting his ass tossed in jail. But there's one thing that bothers me about buying marijuana legally. It's the mechanics of actually purchasing it. According to some reports I've read, there are not enough marijuana outlets in Colorado. In Denver, people have to wait in lines, sometimes for more than an hour, just to get their hands on some reefer. I don't like the idea of standing in line for an hour waiting waiting to buy some weed from a clerk working in a store that probably has a name like Mr. Giggles. (laughs) I'd rather get my marijuana the old-fashioned way from my neighborhood dealer. Uh, In the late 70s and early 80s, my connection was a guy named Gary, who lived on Sheffield near Wrigley Field. Whenever I'd get down to Seeds and Stems, I'd stop by Gary's place. Hanging out at Gary's was a pleasant way to waste a couple of hours. There was always good music on the stereo, stimulating conversation, plenty of herb to sample. He enjoyed having people over, was a good host, generous with food and drink. I also met quite a few interesting people and made some lasting friendships while sharing joints in Gary's living room. When I left Gary's place, I usually had a smile on my face. And that, my friends, is the way a civilized person, a real gent, buys his weed. When I was a pothead, I did things the right way. I shopped locally, patronized a small business, and kept my money in the neighborhood. Yes, very true. I think about that. Uh, Shop locally, keeping the money in the neighborhood, taking care of Gary. I think I knew Gary. Uh, I'm sure you met him a few times. I think I met him at your house. Every once in a while, he'd make a delivery. Uh, so, yeah. Do you think something's lost? Uh, not really. I mean, the the, uh, the the odds are that when when uh, it's in, when the sale of marijuana is institutionalized, the product will be better. Uh, there won't be uh, shortfalls. You won't have to worry about going to uh, uh, 
going to your dealer and saying, hey, this isn't the same stuff I got last time, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing. So I, I think in the long run, it's just better to have it institutionalized. I suppose it's better, uh, although I do kind of uh, I love the concept of nickel bag birdie. There will always be nickel bag birdies among us. Molly, you mentioned Well, that- you know, Benny, I, I was leaving the dispensary. I, go, I use the dispensary on uh, Clark Street just north of uh, Grace. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was walking uh, out of there. And there was like a 14, 15 year old kid stopped me. He was waiting outside the door, and he said, "Mister, Mister." And he had a, he had a, a, a fistful of you know fives and tens and twenties. And he said, "Mister, can you go and get get something for me?" And I said, "Oh no, I can't do that. I'm sorry." And then I got kind of angry. I said, "You know, you, how old are you?" And he said, "He you know, he didn't say. He just stared at me." And I said, you know, when I was your age, I, I knew two or three places I could buy. I said, these, the kids these days have have no have no ambition. They have, uh, no drive, man. No, no. <laughs> no innovation. On the other no hand, innovation. I, I, I gotta give the kid credit. Like, it's like the old days. You stand outside a liquor store when you're 50. Hey, could you? Uh, same concept. Uh, same concept. Uh, That's so awkward. Whatever happened to networking? You got a network. Yeah, <laughs> network. Uh, kids today. Yeah. Miley, you're talking about smoking reefer back uh, in Vietnam when you were in Vietnam. Uh, was did. Uh, Black and white GIs share the joints, or was that segregated as well? Uh, no, you know, I was in the infantry, and uh, we, when we were out in the field on patrols and things, uh, uh, there was a sense of brotherhood that you didn't find back in the rear areas. In the rear area, there, there were even race riots in, in Vietnam, but out in the field, uh, we shared everything. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, uh, also, out in the field, we didn't get stoned that that often mm. because you know that was kind of a, a tricky situation. <laughs> yeah. But the the one thing I did I do remember is that, uh, and this is this goes to one of our favorite musicians, uh, Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. He uh, when uh, people in Vietnam, all music played a big part in everybody's lives, and uh, you know the, some of the. Uh, white guys would listen to country music. The Latino guys would listen to, you know, mariachi. Black guys would listen to uh, Motown, basically. But uh, when, whenever uh, the black and the white and the, and the Latino people got together to party, it was always Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I'm with you. Jimi Hendrix <laughs> was the man, yeah. and uh, uh, Milo wrote a tribute to Jimi Hendrix that we used to play. Uh, we used to run on the 4th of July or thereabouts because it was the ultimate patriotic tribute to the great Jimi Hendrix, uh, I believe is James Marshall Hendrix. James Marshall Hendrix, uh, formerly, uh, formerly of the 101st Airborne. Yes, but they asked him to leave. Did you know that, Mike? Well, you know, some people oh, just wow. some people yeah. just aren't aren't, aren't uh, ready for the military. Yeah, they, is that I, a dishonorable discharge? No, no, no I don't think. Oh, 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 oh. I never heard of this before. They they just they, asked him to leave. No, right? they, uh, <laughs> they, there there are several types of discharge, discharges in the military. Yeah, uh, there's an honorable, dishonorable, general, and uh, Jimmy mm. Jimmy got uh, uh, I believe he got a general discharge. I'm do, I'm not sure about yeah. it, but I believe. Uh, because uh, a dishonorable, you have to do something, some mm-hmm. some s- serious yeah, yeah. misconduct. Yeah. Jimmy just wasn't uh, a good soldier. And uh, I have a, a good friend in uh, California. His son uh, uh, wanted all his life wanted to be a soldier, and he he jo- he joined the military. His father uh, 
went down with him to see him off and everything. The kid was back in two weeks. Wow. And, and uh, the, the Army kicked him out. He just wasn't fit. wasn't mm. the right type of person to be in the military. Yeah. And I think that's the same with Jimi Hendrix. Uh, yeah, they, I think I read somewhere, Milo, that uh, his superior, one of the superiors said all he wants to do is play the guitar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which, no, yeah, no, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> Milo, what did they call you? You mentioned that people on the front lines and the people uh, in the rear. What did they call? Uh, REMPS. REMPS, yeah. What did that stand for? Uh, rear echelon motherfucker. Yeah, I, I, I always like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you could swear on a podcast, Mel. Yeah. 